don't know, that first song is still stuck in my head. Did you guys notice Greg? He's going along the organ, slapping his hand, you know? Thinking, oh, he's really into that song. So anyway, I'm sorry, that first song still was going in my head. Anyways, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament. It's, uh, we're going to look at Ruth. It's page 278, if you're using the Bible there. Um, you're going to want those lights up as high as you can get them, Hagen. It's going to flicker otherwise. It's cold up in the attic, evidently. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a love story. Kind of fitting, right? February's coming up. Guys, February's coming up. <laughs> so I've got Kim believing it's a Hallmark, you know, celebration. So she's not really in the Hallmark. So I don't have to worry about February 14th. But I'm just telling you. Uh, so that's coming up. Kind of interesting. Uh, one of the we were talking about this in staff meeting, and some guy says, "Yeah, I heard a pastor preach on this one time, and he called it the chick flick of the Old Testament." Um, and he told his he told his people, "Go ahead and bring popcorn next week if that helps." So if you want to bring popcorn next week to hear the rest of this, uh, feel free. But as you turn here, let me um, let me ask you a question: Have you ever had a situation in your life <clears throat> where somebody has made a decision or a series of decisions that has caused you to have harm or hurt in your life. Someone's done something, and by no choice of yours, your life's in chaos. Your life is thrown up in the air. Now, looking out, nobody seems to be nodding their head, so maybe I'm the only one who's had that experience. Uh, I have. But... We look at that and we go, that's kind of, that's not fair. Why should somebody else's choice impact me in such a, a negative way? Well, if that is you this morning, if you're having that situation you're currently going in or, or involved in, Ruth is a great um, book to be reading and understanding. You wouldn't think, you know, being a love story, but it is. Uh, if you know somebody who's going through this, you need to be here and seeing how you can help them through that situation. Here's the truth of Ruth, all right? If you're wondering what this is all about, here's the truth. The truth is that God works through godly people. In other words, God's provision, God's healing, doesn't typically come in some miraculous work of God in our lives. But it comes through godly responses of godly people, including us, who are responding to those who may have hurt us. Unlike uh, unlike many books in the the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, well, even in the New Testament, there's no miracles in Ruth. Well, I mean, except the fact that Ruth likes her mother-in-law, but that's besides the point. Um, Okay, that was my joke. If you didn't like it, I was going to blame Dave. Um, <clears throat> it was actually Dave's joke, and I thought, hey, it's pretty good, I'm going to use it. But God primarily works through people, and this is my new mantra, who day in and day out, no matter their circumstances, respond to life God's way, respond to other people God's way, in order to bring God's plan about. See, Ruth is more than just a human love story. Ruth is about God's love that's going to be demonstrated to people who are hurting, people who are going through stuff by no choice of their own. And it's demonstrated through godly people who are going to respond to those hurting people. God works 
through godly people, and God loves to help those who are going through difficult times, chaotic times, hurtful times, but He does it primarily through people who are going to choose to respond to life God's way. That's what Ruth is all about. Now before we get into Ruth, some of you guys might be, this might be new to you, <clears throat> so we kind of want to give you a little bit of a backstory. So Old Testament, all the way back in Exodus. So back when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God said, hey, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to use Moses. He's going to be my agent, and I'm going to rescue you, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. So once they get out of Egypt, God says, hey, listen, I freed you. Now I just want to make you an offer. I'm willing to be your personal God. Just because God chose that he wanted to use Israel. So he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be your personal God if you let me. So Israel as a nation, they all said, yes, we want this God who freed us from Egypt, slavery in Egypt, we want him to be our personal God. And God said, okay, I mean, you know, make sure you understand this. I want to use you to make sure my plans that I have for this world happen. We're in. We're all for it. That relationship brings about some unconditional promises. Unconditional meaning that no matter what Israel does, God will still use Israel to make that happen. And there's, there's a bunch of different ones. And the main one is that he told Abraham, which was before Israel, hey, from you, I'm going to make you a great nation. No matter what happens, your descendants are going to be a great nation. Israel is that great nation. And then he says, hey, through you, I'm also going to bring a blessing for all the nations. And we know that that blessing who came through Israel was Jesus Christ. God became flesh, was born into the Jewish nation, and now we, as non-Jews, can have salvation through faith in Christ. This relationship also brought about some conditional promises. So God said, hey, listen, Here's the deal. I know um, how to do life the best. In fact, I'm the one who designed it, so I know how life is lived the best, where you'll be blessed the most, where you'll not hurt yourselves, but you'll be able to you know, impact this world. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. As your loving Father, I'm going to bless you when you do things right. When you obey me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you what you need to continue to do life my way. Kind of a little motivation, right? We do with our kids, right? You do things and we kind of reward them. We kind of thank them. Or kid says, hey, I want to mow the lawn, but the mower's broken. Well, we're going to buy them a new mower. You may not have a motor on it, but we're going to buy it. No, we're going to buy them a mower. If they start doing life their way, which is what gives them, or causes their lives to have difficulty, to be in pain, what he's going to do is he's going to discipline them bring less pain into their life in order to get them realizing, whoop, going in the wrong direction, and they'll repent and come back doing life his way. He said, if you do that, if this, when I discipline you, there's going to be some things happen. There might be some famine happening, or there may be some nations around you that are going to come in and kind of harass you and oppress you. But the whole point of that discipline is to bring you back to doing life my way, because my way is the best way of doing life. The events that occur in Ruth happened during a time called the Judges. This is a, a period of time, uh, 410 years, if you do the math, and I didn't, I trusted somebody else. 
If you do, it's about 410 years from Joshua, who led Israel finally into the land when he died, to when King Saul is uh, brought into power. So about 410 years. And it tells us in 17.6 and a couple other spots too, that there was no leadership. There was no king. There was nobody leading Israel. And so everybody just did whatever was right in their own eyes. So groups of Israelites were doing whatever they wanted to do, or families were doing what they wanted to do, but they weren't doing life God's way. And so this desire to, to do life their way, not God's way, brought about what scholars call the sin cycle. And so what would happen is, without any leadership, Israel's in their land, and as a whole, Israel would begin to track away from God. And so they're, doing, they're disobeying, so a loving father says, okay, I'm going to discipline them. So he would discipline them with famine, and like I said, a nation might come in, and they would oppress Israel. They, they would take all their harvest. They would go in and they would kill their animals or take their animals, and sometimes they even killed some of the, the Jewish people. But when that happened, then they were like, oh, oh no, we, we've forgotten God. And so they would repent. God, sorry, we, we, we're, we've turned away from you. So now we're going to turn back to God. God blesses that. And now there's a, a, a leader, a military leader that God raises up. Just some, you know, some Joe Blow guy, you know, farmer, not anything special. But God would come along and say, hey, you, Gideon, I want you to be the judge. I want you to be the military leader to help me rescue Israel and get them back on track. And so the guy would do that. God would work through that situation, bring Israel out of that situation. There would be peace for a period of time. And then Israel would go back to doing life their own way. And we have 410 years of this sin cycle. So in Ruth, Israel's in a time of famine, which means what? They're in a time of being disciplined by God. Okay? So that kind of sets up where we're at. Let me go ahead and read some of the first few verses here and we'll get rolling. Now it came about in, in the days when judges, these military leaders governed, that there was a famine in the land. So God's disciplining Israel. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech, Elimelech. In the jungle, the mighty jungle. <laughs> Praise team. I'm here for you, buddy. All right. Anyways, and, and sorry, I told the nine o'clock I wasn't going to do that to you guys, but I couldn't help it. And the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Talk about having an unfair situation. Israel is being disciplined by God. There's famine in the land. And so Elimelech takes his family to Moab. Now there's a lot happening with this decision. Moab 
had food, evidently. Israel didn't. So it makes human sense, right? It makes human sense you go where the food is. We don't want our family starving, and so we're going to go where the food is. And we're all sitting there going, yeah, way to go, Limelech, man. Weird name, song named after you, whatever, but bad choice. Because just, be, just because God was disciplining Israel as a nation, if you read through Scripture, any time it's happening, there are times where God blesses individuals or families when they do life God's way. And so what Elimelech is doing here, Elimelech, by the way, his, his name means, my God is king. What he's doing here is saying, you know, I know what God says, Deuteronomy 28, right? I know what God says. If I do life God's way, he's going to help me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to protect me. But if I do life my way, then there's going to be discipline. Israel's not doing life God's way. So Elimelech goes, you know, I know my God is king. I mean, after all, I'm kind of named after that. But I'm going to go over and have Moab and their gods take care of me and my family. Moab, Israel's enemy. If you know anything about Moab, the descendants of Moab, or Moab's are the descendants of Lot, who impregnated his oldest daughter. So this is the descendants of those of that situation. Okay, well, you know, happened. But when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they wanted to go through Moab to get into the promised land, and Moab said, you're not coming through. We don't want you guys through here at all. We're not going to help you. We're not going to assist you. You stay out. You go another way, which kind of messed them up. Not only that, but Moab's one of the nations God uses to discipline Israel during this time of the judges. And yet, for whatever reason, Elimelech's saying, hey, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to try doing life their way. I'm going to try to, I'm going to see if their gods will take care of us. Why would Elimelech choose to do that? Why would he turn from what God says to do and to do life the way the other nations decide to do life? I asked myself that question, and then this question came into my head, so I'll ask you, why do we do that? Why do I when I see plainly what God says in His Word, and then something happens in my life, I respond not with what He says, but with how I want to do it. I, you know, arrogance, pride, I don't know. Ignorance, because I don't maybe really know what God's Word says. We can't really beat up Elimelech, because we do that all the time. Because here's the deal. In the Old Testament, really in the New Testament, really all the way up to about the 1800s, everything in life was based on religion. Everybody operated out of a religious worldview. And so whatever your, the God was that you worship or gods that you worship, you did life their way, pretty much. Then the 1800s came and science started happening and pretty soon here in the Western world, you know, we kind of say, eh, religion, you know, science. And so it's man, it's all about man and what's happening. Well, man becomes our own God we start deciding for ourselves. And not some other God's going to tell us what to do. We're going to tell ourselves what to do. And so we start making decisions based off what we think is good, what we think is right. Well, sadly, frustratingly, Elimelech's decision puts Naomi's life in jeopardy. 
Here's an older lady, no doubt older, and now she's left with two of her daughters-in-law. They were just supposed to sojourn, it says. The sojourn means to be a guest, to spend some time. It's kind of going on vacation. They're just going to go to over here to Moab for just a little bit. Just, you know, kind of wait until everything happens over here in Israel. We're just going to hang out over here. They ended up staying 10 years. Now, whether, whether the deaths of Elimelech and his sons were directly related to their choosing to go against what God wants or indirectly, the fact of the matter is his choice caused Naomi to be stuck in a foreign land, to be stuck in their enemy's land with two daughters-in-law. She can't provide for them. She's going to barely be able to provide for herself. It's not you know, 2021 where you can just go out and get a job. Women just couldn't go out and get jobs. She would end up begging if she was left to herself. Initially, it was kind of okay because her sons were there, but now her sons are gone. So Naomi's devastated. She's, her life is ruined. Not by any choice that she made, but by the choice that her husband made. What's she going to do with that? What would you do with that? What if you're stuck in a situation that you didn't choose, but you're, you're in it? How are you going to respond? How would I respond? Actions speak louder than words, right? We don't know a lot of backstory to Naomi. We can only go by what her actions are telling us. And actions speak louder than words. And what does she do? She says, you know what? I hear there's food in Israel. In other words, Israel's repented. God's blessing them. I shouldn't be over here. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going to go back to my family, back to my nation, back to Deuteronomy 28, and the blessing that comes from doing life God's way. So she has a discussion with her daughters-in-law, 7 through 13. We're not going to read that. She's basically saying, hey, listen, you know, you girls are young. Go back. Find a husband. Go on with your life. I'm old. I can't have kids. And even if I could, you're not going to wait around. If I happen to have a son, you're not going to wait around to marry the kid. So you guys do that. I'm going to go back to Israel. And then there's this exchange that happens. Starting in verse 14. And they lifted up their voices, all three ladies, and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. There you go. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you. This is unbelievable stuff. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. You see what's happening here? She's making a personal choice to place herself under the authority of God, the God of Israel. Not her gods that she was raised with. She's changing her allegiance, saying, I'm not going to do life their way. I want to be under your God and his authority and do life his way. So it goes on. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord, that's the personal name that God said, Israel, you can call me back in Exodus. So she's doubly saying, listen, I know he's now my personal God. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts me, parts you and me. 
When she saw that she was determined to go with her, Naomi speaking, she said no more to her. She was wise. (laughs) So they both went until they came to Bethlehem, and when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? Ten years, you know. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Her, Her name means pleasant. That's kind of a nice name, right? Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So what can we learn from Naomi's choice to return back to Israel? The big big thing is this, that godly choices, when we choose to do life God's way, then God can bring restoration. God can bring help. God can bring healing. God can bring whatever it is that we need because it's in doing life His way that we find those things from what He says. So she chooses to go back to Israel, to move back to God, to trust His promises. We, we don't know what her thoughts were. We don't know the discussion that her and Elimelech had before they went to Moab. We don't know if she was saying, there's no way I'm leaving my family. You know, we, don't, we don't know. But she had to go with them because that's how it worked. But now she's able to make a choice and she's going to physically show that choice by going back to Israel. And some will say, well, duh, yeah, that's what she should do. But again, the question is to us, why don't we do that? Why don't we do the duh? Why don't we know what God's Word say and says and do life His way, to go back to what He wants? Why do we continue to stay in our poor choices and how people might respond to us and we want to respond back to them in like kind? The interesting move in all this to me is, is Ruth's choice to return with Naomi. Like it says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She uses the word Lord. She's, again, we don't know the conversations that went on prior to this, but just from what we're reading here, we have to assume that Naomi, in spite of what her husband may have done, she seems to be a woman, as especially we go throughout Naomi, uh, throughout Ruth, that it's interesting, this book's not called Naomi by the way. It's not called Boaz. It's called Ruth. So in the Jewish Old Testament, there's a book named for a non-Jewish lady. It blew my mind this week when I thought about it. It just kind of hit me after all these years. Wait a second. You're all like, yeah, here, we knew that. But it just kind of blew my mind this, morning, this week. I'm like, that's right. She's, she's not Jewish, but to get a book named after her. Anyways, pretty cool. But Naomi must have represented Christ or God well. Didn't know Christ then. Must have represented God well. She, Ruth must have seen her faith, known about her faith, known about her God. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been saying, I want to go with you. And so she says, hey, listen, I want to go with you. I want to put myself under the authority of your God. I want to do life God's way. So they return after 10 years. It's got to be, you know, we all change after 10 years, right? And so obviously Naomi has changed, but then you add on that the emotional and the physical strain that comes with losing your husband, with losing your children, of the travel back. Not to mention that she's got a daughter-in-law who's 
their enemy in tow? It must have really caused a stir in Bethlehem. What is going on here? We, they might even thought that she was dead. And she says, hey, listen, I understand the circumstances that I'm in. I, I get it that God was disciplining my family. She says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Now, some people would say, well, that means that she's bitter. No, it says that the Almighty has dealt with her bitterly. I, I believe that she's looking at it going, no, my situation is bitter. I don't like the situation I found myself in. This is not fear that my husband made this choice and now I'm stuck with his decision. I, th I think that's what she's trying to get at. But what does she do? In spite of the situation she's in, she says, I'm going to do it God's way. He's almighty. And so she's going to put herself back in the right spot. She recognizes the wrong. And now she's choosing the right. It's interesting because the chapter finishes off in verse 22 that it just so happens that they return during the harvest. Now you have to come back next week um, to find out how this all plays out. Or you can read ahead, which I would really encourage you to be doing. Read through Ruth. Four chapters. Easily done. Just keep reading it over all week long. A couple times, maybe a day. Again, it doesn't take very long. If I can read it, you can read it. The, 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 um, the focus shifts off of Naomi now to Ruth. And so this is going to be kind of an interesting thing that happens here between Ruth and another one of the relatives. And the, the human love story is thrust upon us, but God's working in all that. But as the band comes up, what are the takeaways? What, what should we be pulling away from this chapter 1 in all of this? Well, there's, there's three things that I'm coming up with. Uh, if you have others, that's fine. Uh, but the first one is this. Sometimes we have to let people experience God's discipline in their life. A lot of times what we'll try to do, and we should initially, certainly we should try to encourage somebody who's doing life their way and not God's way. And we see stuff going you know, off the rails in their life to come alongside, hey, listen, I'm concerned about you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Let's help you get back on. But I've had it in my life numerous times where people are like, no, thanks. I got this. Then we have to, in love, we want to do what's best for the person, right? So we do what's best for the person, because that's what love is, and we let them experience the discipline that God wants to put into their life. Whether we're, you know, intimately connected with them or not, it's a tough move. I get it. But it's the most loving thing to do because God loves them more than you or I could ever love them. And, and not only that, His discipline is far more effective than our badgering. You know, us constantly getting on them. Step back. Do life. Actually, it's point two. <laughs> no matter what, choose to do life God's way. You can't be responsible for other people's choices or how they respond. You can only be re responsible for yourself and how you respond. So whatever the situation is, do life God's way. If you're like, well, I'm not really sure, find out. You know, I, I mean, I'm here. That's what I get paid for. If, if you don't call me, I sleep in my office. So I'm just saying. I mean, I, I'll probably mark, you know, busy because I'm taking my nap. Um, but then eventually I got to wake up, right? Just kidding. Wait, we're recording this, right? Cut that part out, guys. The, the third point is this. <clears throat> Reach out to godly people. Naomi's 
name means friend. She was Naomi's friend. She's like, I'm going to go through this with you. I'm not even part of your nation, but I'm going to go through that. I love you. And I want to take you through this. I want to go through this with you. That's what we as as Christians need to be doing. We need to be finding friends. We need to be that kind of friend who's going to walk through life with people. We've got our adult Bible studies. And again, we talk about this a lot, but I keep on, we've got new people coming in all the time and some of our older people are, by older, I mean people who have been attending here a while, sometimes miss what I say. Adult Bible studies. And I crammed it down your throat last week and we had an increase in attendance. So I'll keep on cramming it down your throat. No, it's a great opportunity for the guys who are in here, ladies who are in, there, in the quad. And we, we had a great time at the men's Bible study. We didn't really even get through our Bible study because guys started sharing what's going on in their lives. And there are guys who are going through stuff that the other guys have already gone through and found victory through God and how to respond. And they started talking. And I just sat back here and, and they looked at me. I'm like, oh, no, that's good. You know, keep on going. You know, it's awesome. It's good. We've got our adult groups that are forming. We've got our microgroups that are forming. Get with other Christians. Walk through the difficult times together. That's what we're here for. That's why God leaves us here. Because God works through godly people. Godly people making godly choices. Thank you.